In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I invite you to turn me with this morning uh, in your Bibles to chapter 18 if you have them. Um, but I want to start off by telling you what <clears throat> does appear in chapter 18 prior to the verses that we heard this morning. <clears throat> prior to our gospel lesson today, Jesus had told another parable. And it was a parable about prayer. It was about the persistence we need to put into our prayer life. And the importance of that is we come and worship and pray each and every day in our lives. Today's prayer parable, it's another parable about prayer actually, provides a very valuable lesson that points out the difference between hypocrisy and humility. I like the way that the New Living Translation actually opens this verse. It's actually one of the few verses we find in the gospel where Jesus actually tees this up in the delivery of what, what the, the message is going to be about in this parable. The NLT version reads like this. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. It's very direct and very straight to the point about what this parable that's behind me on this screen is going to be about. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was the Pharisees and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then Jesus closed with the punchline point. This parable right here says that for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were seen as the good guys. They, in fact, they were highly exalted in their culture. They were religious leaders who obeyed the rules, and they lived by every dot and cross T of the law. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were the bad guys. They were despised by their peers in their community. They were outcasts, in fact. They were hired by the Romans to overcharge taxes, and most of them did so by keeping much of the money for themselves. But Jesus always being full of surprises, reveals something different today. The good guy was the bad guy. And the bad guy ends up becoming the good guy in this parable before us today. So before we launch into that today, I want to set the course of where I want you to be thinking into this. Which character are you more like, this Pharisees or this tax collector? As we examine the parable this morning, let's consider three important questions. The first question is simply this. Why do we come to church today? Pretty vague. Why do we come to church today? Both the Pharisees and the tax collector went there to pray. We came here to pray as well, didn't we? But the two of those guys in our parable today both went for different reasons. The Pharisees went to be seen by others. He's thinking, look how good I am. Look how nice I'm dressed. 
He wasn't praying to God in this parable. He was praying to himself and to be seen by others. It was a performance before an impressed yet suppressed audience. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave this strong warning against this kind of prayer life. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. So what about us this morning? We get up today and get ready to come to church. What are we thinking about? Are we thinking about how we'll look to other people today or how we'll look before God today? Or when we pray, are we thinking about what others will think or what God will think when we offer up ourselves before him? Jesus tells us we must be very careful not to pray to perform before others. Prayer should always be for God alone. Reminds me of the old story, I'm sure you probably heard it. A little boy had kneeled down before his bed one night when his mom walked in behind him. And he started to shout at the top of his lungs, Dear God, I've been real good this year, so please let me have a new bicycle for my birthday. His mom said, God's not deaf, why are you shouting like that? The boy said, well, I know God's not deaf, but Grandma is, and she's in the next room. Do we ever pray for things, hoping others might hear it, instead of for God to hear it? Friends, the Pharisees here went to seen, be seen by others that day. But the tax collector in this story today, he came to the temple that day as a broken sinner. A broken sinner seeking God. He was at the end of himself. And he believed that God could help him. In his bodily language, showed his unworthiness. It says he kept his distance. He probably took the last pew in the back. His focus wasn't on others. It was only on God. His focus was on an audience of one, in fact. He wasn't seeking the applaud of the crowd. He was seeking the applaud of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus alone. So once again, what about us? we get ready to go to church, what are we thinking? How are we going to look to other people or how we'll look to God? When we pray, are we thinking about what others will think or what God might think? And that brings us to the second question I want you to consider this morning. What is our attitude in church? What is our attitude in church? Both the Pharisees and the tax collector went to church to pray. But they had two completely different attitudes once they got there. Pharisees was proud of his goodness. His pride wasn't the kind of pride that says, well, I'm proud to be a good neighbor. I'm proud to be an American. That's not what kind of pride he demonstrates. The Pharisees' pride was the kind of pride that the Bible warns us against. In fact, very much warns us against it. It's the kind of pride that gets people cast into hell. In fact, it's the kind that got Satan cast out of heaven. Pharisees had all the classic signs of pride and hypocrisy. He was arrogant, egotistical, boastful. Verse 11 reveals just how much it was all about him and his words. He loved to talk about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. 
and give a tenth of all, all that I get. Notice in his words right there, it's all about him. I, I, I. Fasting and tithing are both very good things. But that won't get anybody into heaven. And if we're doing them to look good in front of others, it'll get us cast into hell. The Bible says in Proverbs, pride goes before the fall. Pride. You ever thought about the word P-R-I-D-E? Perverted result, imitating the devil's ego. There's a good one to camp a hat out on right there. Friends, all of us should take a regular eye exam. I'm not talking about going and paying your eye doctor. We need to take an eye exam of our own conversations. I challenge you to do that from time to time. How much of your conversation is centered on the big eye, like our Pharisees here today was? Another classic sign of pride is never admitting a need. Never admitting a need. You see, pride gives us a false sense of our own self-sufficiency. Have you or you ever known someone too proud to ask for help? Ever been that person? Friends, when we're too proud to ask for help or admit that we have a need, we're simply too proud, period. You ever asked a proud person how you might be able to pray for them? They'll usually say something like, Oh, well, I'm all right. I really don't need anything. I love when they do it because I look at them and say, Well, great, then pray for me a sinner. <laughs> That really brings a look back at <laughs> Another sign of pride is always seeing the faults in others. Always seeing the faults in others. Notice what the Pharisees in verse 11 says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. Jesus had taken two examples in their culture of the greatest of their culture exalted and the furthest on the other end from their culture that was thought of as the worst thing in their culture at all. That's why he used this example here today. The sin of pride blinds a person to their own faults and shortcomings too. Friends, pride also makes other people's faults look much larger. God's measuring stick is not someone else's goodness or badness. God's standard, my friends, is Jesus. How do we measure up to him? If we compare ourselves with a serial killer or a meth dealer, we look like a hero. But if we look at ourselves compared to Jesus, we look like a zero. <coughs> the tax collector had a different attitude, a much different attitude than the Pharisees. He knew he desperately needed God's mercy and grace. He couldn't even hold his head up, it tells us. He was so burdened with shame and guilt. Ever been there? He whispered just seven words, it tells us. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His prayer was a simple prayer from the heart. It was a simple prayer, though, that was heard that day, as we hear at the end of this parable. You see, once we catch a glimpse of the greatness and holiness of God, we realize just how truly needed we all are. And we need to be reminded of that from time to time. Prophet Isaiah once reminded us, he says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. That puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? 
Even the good things we do are filthy compared to the holiness of God. When we see God for who he really is, we will see ourselves as we really are. Fallen, sinful creatures even at our best. Sinners, I might say, who are desperately in need of God's mercy and grace. Which brings me to the final question today so I can get you home before the Cowboys play. What time are we play in one or noon? Well, noon's in jeopardy. <laughs> the final question before you today, because are you, it looked like you were ready to put your heads under your seats, man. I, I, I have everybody's attention. At least back off a little bit. The final question today is this. How will you leave here today? That's what's most important. I want you to leave here today different than you came in. In the parable, only one of the two men went home justified, though, is what it tells us. Justified is a great Bible word. It's all through the Bible. It means being right with God. But I would rather have you remember it like this. Justified means that God treats me just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. Justified. Friends, the only way that we can be right with God is to receive his holy mercy. That's the only way. We notice in verse 14, Jesus summarizes his point and it's very powerful. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, that's difficult in our culture today. We live in a world today that says, you're number one. It's all about you. That's how we're raised. That's how this generation, my generation, was raised like that. And it's only gotten worse. The Bible doesn't say that at all, anything like that at all. In fact, James tells us in 4.10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you want to be lifted up in the eyes of the world, that's great. That won't do anything for you at all. But if you want to be lifted up in God's eyes, humble yourself. Each one of us will go home today one of two ways. The first way is unchanged, feeling religious and maybe proud of it. Countless people will be in a church this morning and they will leave just like they came in. Going to church is something they do because it makes them feel better about themselves. Friends, the Lord Jesus says this about those kinds of people in Matthew chapter 15. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Ouch. That's pretty painful, isn't it? It's powerful. It's convicting. You see, the problem with us oftentimes is we get stuck in the world of religiosity. And we put more emphasis on religion because we want to make sure that we're putting on a good outward performance. It's never about humbling yourself to receive inward, altering, life-changing transformation. You see, religious cleans, religion cleans us up on the outside, but a relationship with Jesus and humbling yourself before God and telling him how bad you need him in your life cleans us up on the inside. Without a life-changing encounter with Jesus, religion leads people to hell. Sadly, it also makes countless souls think they're going to go to heaven. That's not the case. I hope today that we'll all go home like the tax collector did that day. 
unburdened, right with God, and deeply thankful for what we've been given that we did not deserve. The tax collector humbled, humbly came to pray with a heavy burden on his heart. He knew the feeling that alcoholics, I might say, they know when they go into an AA meeting for the first time and stand up in front of strangers and say, hey, my name's Greg, and I'm an alcoholic. That's humbling. That's the success of all the 12-step programs. It's about beginning with humility. I wish that I saw the same humility in the pews that I have seen in my lifetime in the basements of churches. And sadly, a lot of those people will make it from the basement to the pews and they come in here humble, but after a long time of rubbing elbows in the churches on Sunday, they forget that. That's why we need a reminder in this passage like this today. Just like any professing alcoholic, this tax collector knew his sin. It was ever before him. He knows his deep need for God, and he's not too proud to ask for it. So he humbly cried out for mercy and found the freedom that he was seeking from his bondage. He had done not one thing to deserve it, nothing. So he couldn't brag about it. All he could do was thank God and walk away changed. Friends, I'm not sure if Rick Warren quoted that or not right, but I'm not sure. <laughs> We're going to say it anyway like it, though. Humility is not denying your strengths. Humility is being honest about your weaknesses. I like that. Humility is not denying your strengths. Humility is being honest about your weaknesses. The other one, I know where it came from. We know where this one came from. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. Friends, we all need to be reminded of those words from time to time, every one of us, especially those of us who are in elevated positions in our fields of endeavor, whatever they may be. I'm going to tell you something. In Bethlehem, at the Church of the Holy Nativity, it's, it's actually, you know, obviously built on the site that was Jesus' birthplace. And it's a huge stone complex if you've ever been there. How many people have been there, Church of the Nativity? I knew you'd been there. <laughs> I know you've been there. Well, it's a large church, but the thing that's unique about it is it's got one small door that you can enter. In fact, it's 48 inches tall. That's all it is. It's called the Door of Humility. Originally, there was a very large door there. But when the Muslims came and conquered Bethlehem, the soldiers rode their horses into the church and defiled the altar. The monks reduced the size of the door so only a person can enter it, one person at a time, and every person must stoop, bow, and enter it alone. What a glorious, glorious reminder of how we come before the Lord. Friends, we can't approach God on the basis of our parents, of our grandparents, or any of us that had people that placed us in these pews as children. They don't get us in. Each of us must bow down before God ourselves and do it alone we have to walk this alone so I ask you do you need to find God's mercy and cleansing today if so do not be ashamed if so start humbling yourself by admitting that you're a sinner that's a good starting point humility liberates us and hypocrisy handcuffs us humility liberates us it's the first step in the road to recovery 
And it's no different in the recovery of sin than it is from any addiction in life. Never be ashamed to humble yourself before God. And let me close with this. If you're feeling ashamed and bad about something in your past or something in your life, and you're having a hard time going to your knees like that before God in all honesty before him to find the liberation that you so desire in your life, let me tell you about another guy who was having a hard time about 3,000 years ago. He needed liberating and forgiveness too. Even though he was a good and religious man, he had made some rather large mistakes. He was guilty of lying, adultery, and murder, and countless other sins. So if you need mercy and forgiveness and liberating grace today like he did, then pray the same prayer that he prayed so long ago. You see, his name was King David. And King David wrote the 51st Psalm. I can't tell you how many people stand before me in an airport chapel to make confessions. Probably more than every priest we have in our diocese doubled. Because it's real easy to be in an airport and pray to somebody in a chapel, a priest in a chapel, that you're not going to see before. And it never hurts, too, when you're going to get on an airplane. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. <laughs> so you know what? Let's go ahead and clean the slate up right now. And they'll come and stand before me, and they'll make their penance. And like we do in the penance, right? We say, pray for me, a sinner, as we walk away. And every time they walk away, regardless of what their sins are, and they're usually sins of the flesh. The fact of the matter is I give them all the same takeaway. I hand them a small copy of the 51st Psalm. And I say, you're going to be on an airplane in a minute, and you're going to have some time on your hands. And I want you to pray this psalm. Don't say the psalm. Pray the psalm. You would not believe the emails I have got back from people who said they were liberated by that. It's simple. It worked for a guy named David, and God used him the best I remember reading in my book here. And if he can do that and liberate him, he can certainly do that with any of us. But just like David, just like this tax collector here today, it starts the same way. On our knees, humbly confession before Almighty God to have mercy on us. As David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Friends, if you want to leave here today better than you came in here today, I want you to come to this rail today and pray for the grace to share in Christ's humility. Christ's humility. It's only through his authentic humility are we able to stand before a holy God. Only through our authentic humility are we able to go home today different than we came in here. You're able to go home today justified, just as if I had never sinned. Make this that day. Drop it up here at the feet of Jesus and walk out of here liberated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. <clears throat>